Good morning, comrade. Goodmorningcomrade.com. Uh, today on the show, we have Scott, and we also have James Truepenny from uh, the, the Truepenny Show. Truepenny Show. Uh, how you Hello. doing? I'm doing okay. I've got a bit of a cold, but apart huh. from that, I'm fine. Yeah, and you're all locking down again now, too. Yeah, we're we're locked down until December the second. Though it's not like a proper lockdown. Mm-hmm. It's like we've still got schools open and people who have to go into work are still going into work. So it's kind of lockdown light. It's a mockdown. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And the, the big issue is, of course, like university students who all went back in September are, are kind of getting locked down in their universities and they're not particularly keen about the idea because essentially oh, they're death yeah. traps at the moment. <laughs> right. So a lot of them are trying to get out. Um, there was one university that actually put barriers up and security guards on this. So essentially turned oh halls God. of residence at university into a prison at the weekend. Marshall didn't, <laughs> didn't see why that would be a bit of a problem from a PR point a, of view. Did they make them eat like bread and water and stuff? No, no, they did actually take the fencing down and apologize after about eight hours when <laughs> we very a bunch sorry. of students took, life, took, took things into their own hands and just started dismantling the um the fencing which is just like what, what they are you apologized doing? they apologized prisoner here for some yeah. time but there it all <laughs> sorry we uh sorry extrajudicially uh like uh imprisoned you for eight hours that's like yes. <laughs> that's a heck of an uh, edible arrangements to get the uh, uh, basic freedom movement that goes all the way back to Magna Carta. Yes, this is yeah. not good. Oh, don't, don't Magna Carta. Don't start on Magna Carta. That's been in the news <laughs> this week as well. Um, oh, is, that, is that something new? I haven't heard well, about this. Too soon? <laughs> yeah, I, too soon. Would, you, would you like me to explain? <laughs> no, no, no. I got it. I, 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 well, I can, no, I can explain. So we have lockdown, as I just explained. The government has asked us to stay at home as much as possible so we don't all kill each other, which seems uh-huh. reasonable as far as I'm concerned. Um, and a lot of a lot of businesses used the Magna Carta. Oh God! There's a, there's a passage in the Magna Carta that basically explained. Or it went round in one of these QAnon stupidities. But if you put this passage from the Magna Carta in the window of your business, you can stay open. Oh. The only thing is, the Magna Carta was revoked a year after it was written. Oh, <laughs> About eighteen months after it was written. No one tells you this. It is really important. It was like the first book of written law in European history. That's that, fine. But that it that got a, revoked. <laughs> but that was a good year, though, huh? It was a good year. It was ba- <laughs> it was, it was basically like the, the whole point of the Magna Carta is just like so the barons could stop having arguments with the king and they could kind of tax things properly and move things along. And then about 18 months later, different king has to renegotiate yeah. the whole thing. So... I mean, anyway, I think so you, I think in American schools they taught us that uh, after Robin Hood beat Prince John at the end of the movie, they made him sign the Magna Carta or something. Yeah, and Robin Hood was a fox, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 that's it. <laughs> John was a lion. Not sure how that fact was. Uh, I so. watched I watched Robin Hood. I can't remember which film it was. It was 
the one that's the most recent Robin Hood. Oh, the one with like uh, uh who's the guy? Uh, yeah, was that boxing that one and stuff? Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> Costner one or no, no, no Costner one. It was only it, one a couple of years ago. They had like a it, Guy Ritchie one. Oh, yeah, I it was the Guy Ritchie version of it's Robin about... Hood, and it was why are these Irish Republicans in the middle of Nottingham? Yeah. I've been to Nottingham. Yeah, there aren't that many Irish people in Nottingham. <laughs> why's, Jamie Fo- why's Jamie Fox here? <laughs> Why is Jamie Foxx playing yeah. a, a what? <laughs> uh, Muslim dude with one hand. I, Muslim dudes are cool. And yeah. why? Why is? Why did you get Jamie Fox? Uh, Any reason to get Jamie Fox into a movie? If you ask. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's not a bad show. However, he's from uh, <laughs> the provisional British colony of Texas. <laughs> yes, it's like man, it, it's a it's an homage to Robin Hood. Yeah, it's a. Yeah. But, and the the guy that plays Will Scarlet um, is his most famous role prior to that film was playing a serial killer on British television. So uh, I was like, "Hey, he's him from the thing with him." Will yeah. Scarlet does seem like the kind of most on edge one, you know? Like he seems like he's like, <laughs> stuff. like he was like, "What are you doing with these like short knives? What running around in all red? Like very shady all of it." I don't yeah. tr- never trusted that guy. But so yeah, that's that's what's been happening lately. Lockdown and back to Carter. Yeah, we're, we're basically living in the Middle Ages. I mean, are we have a president right now who basically said the election didn't happen, or not like the way it said? Oh and yeah, you guys like, have like moved on to different realms of reality, and I appreciate your yeah. forward thinking. But we've like we've ascended, we've, we've ascended for y'all, and they're moving very quickly. For <laughs> we've ascended our cre- our previous like crushing reality to like 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 brave new frontiers of like crushing realities you know <laughs> i mean now like now like uh the democratic party is just like eating itself whole trying to like be like oh yeah all the stuff that worked on the election let's not do that anymore like uh, yeah well the, mm, the british labor party is doing the same thing to be honest with you paul yeah they yeah uh, <laughs> you're you're kicking out corbin and and deciding like oh, oh you're an anti-semite aren't you jeremy corbin <laughs> <laughs> we have nothing to base this off of we have yeah, no he's like actual, uh it looks like you were actually actually quite against anti-semitism and this is actually very clearly and documented and weaponized against you but it's you know. I, it's one of those I, th- I mean it's one of those things i mean like Keir Stammer as a leader of the labor party is in an incredibly difficult position because he's the leader of a not particularly popular party yeah in the middle of a bunch of stuff happening and the prior leader being massively popular so yeah. whatever he did would be wrong yeah it's like um, if you, it's yeah. like if you had like it's like if you had like a cool teacher <laughs> But they went on like maternity leave or something, and you're like this terrible. <laughs> he is the substitute teacher of labor leaders. I will agree with you. Yeah. Um, however, he's, it is just like, I mean, Corbyn probably didn't do enough with the anti Semitism charges when he had chance to. And I suppose if you look at the labor bylaws, it was the right thing to do to suspend him. But it's not the thing you do. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's, it's just one of those things. It's, it's like, if if the British opposition needed anything less to fall out over, this is not the thing to be falling out over. But they've got to do something. Yeah. Starmer isn't like Starmer has issues of basically not being. He's not what a lot of people in the Labour Party want, and they yeah. want a progressive leader. Yeah, they don't want like another moderate. Like uh, yeah. related news, Chuck Schumer got re. Chuck Schumer got re-elected to run the Democrats, which is the worst thing ever. Yeah. So, so what is Starmer's background exactly? Yeah. I mean, if you want to get into that. 
he's a human rights lawyer, basically. Oh. Um, I mean, the, 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 and to an extent, I kind of like Kirst Hammer from a point of view of there was never enough there was never enough lawyers in the Labour Party, or else we yeah. wouldn't have got into Iraq in the first place twenty years ago and caused a bunch of problems that we've had ever since. Yeah. You know, if there was more, like, the, the trouble is with both all the parties. To be honest with you, there's not enough lawyers around because yeah. British politics back in the day there was two routes into British politics, trade unionism and being a solicitor or a lawyer. And as a result of that, whoever was in charge had a good understanding and respect for working class people and the law, which are the two things that essentially run the country. And, you know, under many governments, but but basically since the early 80s, the shift has been towards professional politicians mm. and that's fine, but they have a tendency to not quite understand how working class people work and they don't have as much respect for the law as our current government will tell you. <laughs> I mean, can y'all really afford another ruling class? Y'all have two now. No, really? No. Yeah. It's just a bit ridiculous. So cursed I'm being a lawyer. I'm quite fond of that idea. And he was a good, strong human rights lawyer. He was, also a good prosecution. He was, um, I can't remember, he had a, a stint in charge of the Crown Prosecution Service, hence why he's Sir Stammer, because traditionally if you have that post, you become a knight. And so you can't paint him as soft on crime. You can't paint him as soft on human rights. He is pretty much the ideal guy to be running the Labour Party at any other time in the Labour Party's history, but probably just not right now. Yeah, it's like... Uh... It's like almost like he uh, they put him in the one game he couldn't win, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's also the point is like he hasn't got a lot of parliamentary experience. He's only been in parliament for four years. He was a civil servant for a large part of his career. So as a result of that, you he it feels like he hasn't earned it, which is a bit of a problem for him because uh, and he doesn't sound like a Labour leader in in the sense of, Jeremy Corbyn was, he did reach out to working class people and working class people were his big supporters, whereas Keir Starmer's not naturally got that constituency. He's very much, um, he can be painted as the elite very quickly. As I talk to lots of different people who were Labour supporters who may have shifted over to the Tory party, they kind of don't quite trust him yet. And until he's kind of got clear policy positions that show that he is actually going to support working class people, I'm not sure how... He bridges that gap. That's something he needs to do. But that's really where he's at at the moment. Yeah, it's very weird. Uh, I mean, it's kind of weird how like classism in England works a little bit differently, but kind of similarly to like in America, because yeah. uh, we kind of we kind of hate our like uh, our rich betters or whatever too. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's I don't know. It's almost kind of weird. Maybe I don't know. Kind of hard to explain it the second but it's, it's, it's i think yeah i think there is like there is a root in meritocracy in the states more than there is here yeah. but people who have still got money are going to do better than people who don't have money to start with yeah. you know the easiest way easiest way to make two million dollars is to start with three million dollars yeah right so yeah <laughs> That's so, not really different, though. I think that's more of a. Uh, I think that's more of a branding activity and more of the story that we tell ourselves. <laughs> reality. I mean, if you look at somebody like for who was just the outgoing president, um, I mean, he was born to an extremely wealthy family, and that's oh, yeah, yeah, awesome yeah. Case. Now, Joe Biden seems to be somewhat of a different 
uh different animal there yeah he's like um, uh he's like probably the first president that's ever i mean i have my big old big old capital d druthers about uh not having him but like he's like the first president that's ever went to like community college or something like that you know yeah 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 as well i think i, I think that's the thing he is kind of a self-made man and it's his wife who has the money not him yeah you know yeah. I, he, the other the other american story which is you marry <laughs> yeah it's, it's like john it's like john Kerry all over again where but it was just you've like doing well yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah so right. yeah you've done all right there but i think as well it, it's you kind of look at the british political classes here and there are self-made men in the british political and women in british political classes however the tendency is on both sides of government or both sides of the political divide and in the middle as well is tends to shift to power to the elite um or people who aren't don't portray themselves as elite, but are actually elite. You know, I point our current British cabinet, which is essentially five blokes who went to uni together. Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> oh yeah, that guy can't be. Uh, <laughs> that, guy could, that guy couldn't have been rich. He's got a terrible haircut. Oh, oh well, you know, him. Yes. Yeah. Him who was, you know, a New Yorker by birth and obviously the son of an eu diplomat so yeah, <laughs> yeah it's an ideal person to run the country but i don't know yeah. i don't know who was born in new york yeah he actually had dual citizenship until he became prime minister it was suggested that he renounces american citizenship on the grounds that might not be a good look for someone who's claiming to be 100 percent british yeah he's when, like to the so much for internationalism <laughs> yeah right <laughs> i yes. can't believe you, i can't believe your uh, prime minister is a dirty globalist <laughs> well yeah he, sp he spent most of his career as uh most of his journalism career as a correspondent for eu correspondent for and mf used to write for a living Telegraph. <laughs> yeah still <sighs> up to him being prime minister he was editor of the spectator which is, is the essentially the conservative party publication like i'm trying to think is it the national review is like the republican yeah, yeah, magazine yeah. kind of like our version of the national review so like well, Spectator is like the, the Tory house magazine as the New Statesman is the Labour house magazine. Uh, My first man. memory of, of Johnson is 2012. I'd never heard of him before, but he was the mayor of London and it was during the Olympics. And after <laughs> they'd won their, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, after yeah, yeah. they had won their first gold medal, he decided to like, like clad himself in a union jack like onesie like a like a like he was a, a evil yeah. evil or whatever yeah. um and slide down like holding two flags and go down a zip line and he got stuck on the zip line <laughs> that was probably <laughs> engineered to make that picture happen yeah <laughs> that was just like it, it was it was the wildest thing before i'm just like that man is going to be prime minister soon. Yeah, this this is the thing. I've 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 always found him massively untrustworthy. Yeah. Um, the first that my earliest memory of him was. Have you guys heard of Glastonbury Music Festival? Yeah. Um, uh, so, Glastonbury Music Festival back in the early eighties, Channel Four used to do the coverage of it before it moved to the BBC. And Billy Bragg, one of my heroes, as a guitarist and a singer songwriter took Boris on a tour of Glastonbury to show him what the youth of today were about. And that was the earliest memory I had of him. And he kind of wrote about it in the Telegraph. And then I started picking up bits about him as he kind of worked his way up the Tory ranks and stuff in the 
early 90s and into the mid 90s and i was like how the hell did he become a front bench mp when he was culture secretary (laughs) oh sorry um shadow culture secretary and he is a prime example of failing upwards uh which is a a british thing he is he's he's just an awful awful human being i mean mean, all they really need is like a big smoke screen to just like get away with their crimes like (laughs) <laughs> Wait, but even then he doesn't really get away with the crimes this is the bit that absolutely like everyone says to me like I, oh everyone loves one of my friends who's a who's a bit right wing but he said well everyone loves boris and i was like no i hate boris because he's racist and he's misogynistic and he's transphobic and he's homophobic and here are all these things where he's done this and then yeah but, but it's boris no one no yeah one, i it's feel it's very much like a George Bush kind of thing where it's like, yeah. uh, he's like, yeah. oh, this guy can't be getting over on us. He's a dummy. Like, okay. <laughs> like, yeah. I know, I know he's a dummy, but like, and they just, yeah, I know they'll let anybody into Yale if you give them a million dollars, but like, <laughs> they went to Yale. But well, his blood is like blue as blue gets, right? Isn't he like a, like a elite, elite, elite? Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, like, no, he, like, there's one of these guys who like thinks he can just quote, you know, Chaucer or whatever, any time that he yeah, wants yeah. to learn a stupid yeah. phrase. It doesn't That's even make <laughs> His whole he, uh, Yeah, he went to Eton, he went to Oxford, he got a first in modern classics, I think. And, you know, he's <sighs> not unintelligent, but equally that's the trouble, is, like, he has this turn of phrase about him, and, like, uh, the, 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 the the one incident when he was shadow culture secretary, I can't remember exactly what the incident was, but uh, one of his senior colleagues, he'd said something stupid on the radio that morning, which he did on a fairly regular <laughs> basis at the time. Uh, and one of his senior colleagues, they asked, asked him from the, 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 shadow cons- the shadow cabinet, they, it was like, so Boris Johnson has said this, what do you think? And he was like, yeah, but it's Boris. Yeah, it's like, it's like we don't take him seriously. So, and to an, to an extent, I agree with this. That if we all had the same opinion, would be pretty boring, wouldn't we? To which I agree to an extent. It's like, yeah. yeah, but that means you don't have a unified message as a party. And the Tory party went to promptly lose the next three elections. But mm-hmm. you know, I think that's the the thing is the the one thing that stuck out to me is like, but it's Boris. No one takes him seriously until it's far too late. Yeah, two-time yeah, mayor of London and prime minister later, and the that worst foreign secretary we ever had. It's like very much like uh, some guy at a party who's done something like very bad, and you're like, why is this person still like hanging around? Is like, oh, it's just, it's just, just Chad. No big deal. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He is, he is the like the. We have, we have a friend, friend of mine who, um, I'll not mention his name because he he's, he works fairly high powered job these days. But when he was younger. Um, we, like we had a wedding one, <laughs> we went to or went to a friend of ours wedding one night, and the next day he was like, "Well, at least I didn't dance with the bride's mum with a tie wrapped around my head." head. Like, yeah, yeah. He did. yeah. <laughs> and he's that guy at a wedding at eleven o'clock, passed out drunk in the corner after <laughs> offending everybody. Yeah. Um, but he's prime minister, and we're kind of stuck with him for four years, even though he's not particularly popular at the moment. Yeah, I don't, I don't uh, understand really the term limits. There's a little bit of like difference, but is it, it's four years because I know it's he came five up. years. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, bummer. 
and David left. Cameron, one, one of the few things David Cameron actually managed to get ham- hammered through was trying to make sense of British election law, which is... <laughs> So you're like, bro, we don't. You guys have a written constitution. I mean, it's it's not the greatest constitution in the world, and it's had it's taken some hammer in the last four years. I mean, but it's just, a good start. <laughs> yeah, but we just recently learned it like operates on the honor system or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you need to you know need to fix that and put some hard rest rules in place. We don't have a written constitution. Uh, it just gets made up as we go along. Yeah. So David Cameron, bless his cotton socks, did try and put. Uh, in place this thing called the fixed term parliament which was every five years come hell or high water there would be an election um, basically because it it basically the current election the election system they had at the time put the onus on the ruling party who would obviously try and call an election when they were popular which he kind yeah. of said well that's not really very fair and so he wanted to put time limits in and then they got rid of Boris's government got rid of that because they needed an election like last December to try and get some uh, because they were essentially losing MPs at an alarming rate of knots as he kept firing them. So yeah. he needed an election to reassert his mandate, which he didn't really have because he wasn't the elected prime minister. So they got rid of the fixed term parliament thing. And so now it's every five years. I mean, when, when they think they can get away with it, basically. I mean, David Cameron, uh, in America, we would call him a total loser because <laughs> he couldn't, like, the only thing he really, he wasted all his capital keeping Scotland in the, in the union and he just lost every vote after that. Like, every yeah. referendum, you know? Sorry? Well, but he I didn't want that to happen. Like, <laughs> no, no, he was, I mean, he resigned. He's like, yeah. oh, wouldn't it be crazy if we voted for this thing? And everybody's like, all right, we want it. He's like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was, he isn't the worst prime minister we've ever had. The oh. next two were much worse than he was, but he is where the rot set in. I mean, yeah. I think I, it's, hmm, it's hard to think really because like the last 10 years of British politics has been such a mess basically because and you can and it's one of those kind of things in history you can't keep going back and blaming other things but there's a direct line of the last 10 years of what's happened so like when labor was still not uh, were not particularly popular but the tories weren't very popular he wins an election has to share power with the liberal democrats that kind of tempers them down to the point where it makes the conservatives popular and the labor party lose their popularity so he was a winner in that sense. He delivered uh, a majority that he didn't think that they would get and destroyed the Liberal Party down to six seats, which is where they're at now, um, because the Liberal Party should not have gone into coalition with the Tories. But um, it destroyed the Liberal Party. It made the Conservative Party great again. And then he makes this bargain to shut up his back benches and says, well, put a unrestricted EU referendum on, on the, in the manifesto. And then he has to do it. Yeah. And it was a, it was one of those things that has kind of like engulfed the Tory party since the 1970s. And he tried to pour an end to it. And it's like, if I call their bluff, I'll get rid of them. They'll have to shut up. Yeah, and it, it wasn't, it was a risky maneuver because it's the, all well, that the risk uh, has been played out since then. He, didn't, he underestimated all that like Eurosceptic, like Mark Corrigan jargon and stuff, you know? I, I'm like, yeah, but if you look to the, if you look to the polling data, um, going into that referendum, 
we would have stayed in. If you'd taken if you'd taken the referendum two months before, we would have <laughs> stayed in. And it caused such a massive rift in this country. Like the Scottish referendum caused a huge rift in a generational rift yeah. in Scotland between people who were loyal to the union. And I have friends who were from Scotland who explained to me like their family and friends were separated over it. It became really horrific. And the EU referendum did the same thing here. It's like waking up on that morning and finding out that result was, I can't really describe it and I don't mean to belittle it, but as a pro-European, because my family's Irish, I'm a European, I yeah, don't yeah. consider myself British. The, as a European- Those good was, Catholic roots. Yeah, it was as a European, it was as as depressed as I've ever felt about anything since my mum died, really. It sounds um, really dramatic, but it was like awful. And to realize that when I start asking about, about it, because I'm that angry that members of my family voted for it, which I knew they would. Yeah. And it's like we used to joke about politics and we used to have fun discussions about politics, even though we were opposed. We'd talk about it and have a laugh about it, and it was great. But all of a sudden it becomes very dead serious because it's awful because I know these people who've worked really hard, who've scrimped and saved all their lives have been sold a con yeah. and it's their savings that are going to get destroyed and it's, it's their incomes that are going to get destroyed and it's their livelihoods that are going to get destroyed. Yeah, the National Trust is like, line go down, right? <laughs> uh, that's, I mean, it's basically how it is now. We, we, we might be coming back, but we might also be entering an even more cynical era who even knows i think i think that mattered to working people anyway i mean the way that that these economies these days are structured is that like sure the stock market and all these things can be going up and up and up and up and up but if wages and don't go up and if you know jobs aren't present and if you know you don't have health care then who cares yeah, the, this is the thing. We've we've spent more money on leaving the European Union than we put into the European Union in the previous 40 years added together. Yeah, just to be worse off at the end of yes, it. Yes, we have essentially, like, if you apply the sanctions that the UN applies to, say, Iraq for their nuclear program, We've essentially done that to ourselves. Jesus Christ! So, so it's like, I mean, and it, I guess that tells you that. Sorry, I was, I was just going to say that that tells you, I guess, that the reasoning behind, even if the rhetoric uh, for for the EU is that, or for leaving the EU is to say, well, the pound is strong and and we can act act independently, um, but like the fact that it would cost that much money to do it. And the people who made the decisions to like make Brexit happen knew that tells me at least that the reasoning behind going forward and proceeding with a Brexit strategy is it doesn't have anything to do with what they're with, with like, um, you know, independence in terms of like, um, in terms of this is better off for us financially. It's more of an yeah. ideological um, say we should be independent of these losers over there. It's very, very nationalist. I, it is. I mean, it's not portrayed as nationalist. It's like we want to have a strong con connection with Europe, and it's like, but but you don't. Uh, it's because really good. Just, yeah, it's, it's like you know, and it, it's all very good and well. But there's a 1,200 truck lorry park being built in Kent because 
no one can get on a ferry until they've filled all their forms in, which, oh, we've got to get rid of that European red tape. We have far less red tape now because we're in Europe. You're creating red tape the moment yeah, like, you come out of Europe. Isn't that the whole reason that they made the EUs? Because like yeah. it was like we yeah. gotta get we gotta like surpass all these borders because they're making like trade impossible and you have to change your money like just going like going yeah. like fifty miles. That's basically it. And it it affects so many things. It just just like the and like not even getting started on the Good Friday Agreement, which obviously is the thing that really gets affected by it. But it is just mm-hmm. so you don't think it happens. But like the school I work in um, lost a load of students because they were EU students and they've moved home because why would you stay here? There is no point. Yeah. So that my yeah. school loses money. We have to cut staff because we can't employ as many people because we haven't got as many students. Despite the fact we've moved into a brand new building that could house more students, we lose people off the roll because we're leaving the European Union. I mean, that's Which, just that's just business 101. When you yeah. like, expand, you have to like let people go and stuff like that. Yeah, that's it. So it makes no... It, it's all these tiny, small things of the communities that have been built and the routes that people have put down. And it's gut-wrenchingly awful for loads and loads of people. Um, and it's and it was... It wasn't even the majority of people that, that wanted it. it. If you put the amount of people in the UK that actually voted was tiny compared to the rest of the population in the UK. So obviously the minority of people who wanted it. I- but, yeah, but then again, as far as always, elections in a democracy, decisions are made by those who turn up. Um, yeah. But it is, it, it's such a, a divisive issue which has kind of fueled what the Conservative Party has been doing ever since. And like you get in like two weeks ago, um, Jacob Rees-Mogg described the Welsh Parliament as a socialist utopia that doesn't know what they're doing. God, I know. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, look, the Welsh Labour Party are not really socialists. I can yeah. tell you that now. I mean, that's but, just, you know, it's that's just Joe Biden is going to like yeah. bring us to socialism. <laughs> Yeah, people were people were probably like on QAnon, like in some Tim Allen Facebook group talking about how Joe Biden had like a secret linen tattoo. <laughs> but yeah, this this is the trouble is they they, they can't win arguments of policy because their policies are dreadful and they don't work. Yeah. So, so they, instead, they try and win arguments of culture war because it's easier. Conspiracies. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, uh, do y'all have a voting uh, holiday over there? Like, do you mean like? The day off for voting? No, no. But mm. our, our polling stations are open from like seven o'clock in the morning until ten at night. Oh yeah. And um, we've what? been we've been on postal votes for a long while now. So and we have pretty good participations, except for like local politicians, local elections and stuff. But like national politics, we get fifty to sixty percent. It's about there. So it's not bad turnout. It's if it's a big turnout, if it's a big event, then you're more likely to get better turnout from it. I mean that's yeah. like astronomical compared to us. I think like what's like twenty percent <laughs> is like uh, it's the best we ever did. This past election was the most people ever voted. Yeah, that's it. You know, it's but it, it's difficult to get it's difficult to get people invested in politics like the in the modern era in one sense because. 
this is the thing. We were talking about this at work the other week, and it was like, remember 15 years ago when we used to say all parties are the same and there's no point yeah. in voting for anybody because you get all the same ideas. I kind of like that. <laughs> yeah. I would, I, I'm sick of massive upheaval with every election. I'd like something that's, mm-hmm. you know, a bit twee and a bit middle of the road for a change. Yeah, but, yeah. I, I feel like we shouldn't be picking and choosing which politicians we're mean to. and We should just blanket like, <laughs> be, be like very cruel to all of them. Like, <laughs> Well, I'm... I don't think you. I don't think you should be because I don't want to lose faith in politicians. There are people who actually do want to serve, and I think that's really important. When I was a politician, I'm no longer a politician, but when I was a politician, I did it because I wanted to serve. And that there is still people, who, even on parties I don't agree with, there are people who want to serve. There are massively nakedly ambitious people that I wouldn't trust anywhere near Parliament never mind as MPs and never mind as a local councillor. However, yeah, you, they are there. Yeah, if you went <laughs> in the other room, you'd lock your door just like, just like to make sure they didn't bust in. Steal your t- <laughs> but like, that's like every politician down here. I, I probably wouldn't shake none of their hands like for fear of losing anything on my fingers. Well, there's a pandemic. Yeah, true. That's, that is true. <laughs> I, wouldn't bump, I wouldn't bump elbows with any of these people. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned a moment ago the uh, Good Friday uh agreement yeah. and we wanted to talk a little bit about irish republicanism on this on the show as well uh so can you just give a little bit of background on that uh and sort of how uh with the status of sort of especially since brexit uh the right in ireland in the uk is and try and let's try and keep it for <laughs> <hours>. <laughs> okay then so in 1922 no um, yeah yeah <laughs> Basically, I mean, well, I mean, there we can start. Wait, <laughs> let's let's start now. Let's <laughs> let let's not cause a massive row and have Protestants hating them. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> you didn't want to so, start with Cromwell, I see. I don't want to start with Cromwell. Oh God, no one wants to start with Cromwell. Yeah. I did watch a documentary. I will, I will say this from the history. Uh, I watched a documentary about the fact about the BBC did a wonderful documentary about thirty years ago about the whole history of Ireland. And they explained like the the Protestant dysphoria to Northern Ireland and plantations that were, were built there. And the Presbyterians that moved from the west coast of Scotland to, to Northern Ireland are the seriously most bloody-minded people you've ever come across. They would they moved to to like places like Derry and, and Belfast, or London area in Belfast, and, and especially on the coast there. In the north. And in the villages on the coast there was no parish vicar, Presbyterian vicar. The closest one was in Glasgow, 40 miles across the North Sea. Yeesh. So they'd row across to Scotland to go to church on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock and row back again. That is wild. Like, you know what? Okay. If you do that, then you get your workout in. You don't need to go yeah. to church. <laughs> yeah. So you- like, that's, that, that always struck me as like, you are never going to get the Protestants out of Northern Ireland, even though how hard you try, are you? Because they've built that kind of sense of community, and there's nothing wrong with having that sense of community. It's not their fault they ended up there. Yeah. But you know, but that's what causes the problem. Yeah. But to go back to to the modern day, so obviously you had nationalist republicans and loyalists who had a ceasefire, and the Good Friday Agreement was put together during the Clinton-Blair, well, Clinton-Major and then Clinton-Blair administrations. Mm -hmm. And so essentially the more liberal part of the Conservative Party 
or I should point out the Conservative and Unionist Party uh, and the Labour Party. You mind if I jump had, in? Like, you mind yeah. if I jump in just in, and say this is an agreement to not kill one another anymore? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was agreement to cease fire over all terrorist activities, which was signed up to by all the major parliamentary groups in Northern Ireland. There was there's three major parliamentary groups on the Unionist side, one major parliamentary group on the Nationalist side, with some. Uh, what we call dissident, like yeah, dissident groups that we that we don't that are still going, and a lot of them didn't call a ceasefire, and are still kind of influential in parts of Northern Ireland. There was a famous Northern Irish journalist who was killed last year, which mm-hmm. is horrible. Um, so you still have outspurts of violence, and there are still kind of gang-related issues based around sectarianism. However. Um, so the Good Friday Agreement was kind of hammered out under Clinton Major and then Clinton Blair. And it basically wrapped itself in the European Court of Human Rights because the basic tenant was if you were born in Northern Ireland, you could identify as a British person or an Irish person. And that was the basic cohesive principle behind it, which was protected by the European Court of Human Rights. So, and there is the issue of the border which was fine when we was all part of Europe because the border was frictionless you you know there is one of the things that the IRA wanted and Sinn Féin wanted to get rid of was a border between northern and southern Ireland and to be honest a lot of the union want, unionists wanted shot of it as well because it meant more trade if you don't have to stop passports you it makes trade cheaper so if you're moving back and forth it's almost like a uh, a European issue on like a local level yeah, exactly. The The best person who summed it up was Ian Paisley, who was a horrible unionist leader for a long, long time. But he said, and this gives you the best idea of what he said, you see me, I'm British. My constituents, they're British. You see them cows outside my office window? They're Irish. Uh. <laughs> because if the cows are Irish, you get an Irish subsidy and a British subsidy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's so that basic but that basically something up unionists are not stupid people yeah. <laughs> they, they want to make a living and then everyone's made a living everyone's made good money in northern ireland it's become one of the most prosperous parts of the uk and there is relative peace and there is a a sense of the end of things and there is less support for the extremities on both sides like nationalism has kind of moved into this center ground politics um which it's always kind of it's always been kind of socialist politics but it's kind of moved into the centrist politics with like people like the sdlp and the alliance which is a neither unionist nor um uh neither unionist nor uh republican nationalist your group which has become a large influence in in the storm of parliament you even at the last election you even had Sinn Féin standing down members in parliamentary elections for unionists because they were pro-European unionists. Yeah, what is Sinn like, Féin? Uh, so Sinn- that, so yeah. that would be to do to essentially that would be like I'm trying to think of an equivalent, but essentially, if you you basically had um, I'm trying I can't really think of another equivalent, but it's like the absolute polar opposites. Like if you had a, a really right wing. Republicans standing down for a left-wing Democrat because they both agreed on uh, nuclear disarmament. It was essentially that equivalent. Really. I mean, oil I mean, and water. 
I mean, we ran Amy, Amy McGrath against uh, <laughs> against uh, what's his name? That was basically standing down. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so so like the the current situation in Northern Ireland is fraught to say the least. As yeah. and I even Sinn Fein and the DUP, the two big pies in Northern Ireland, Sinn Fein is the uh, nationalists um, and DUP are the unionists. They they both wrote to the parliament uh, to the prime minister last this week for clarification on certain things because they haven't been clarified and they need to know so they can make decisions based upon what's going to happen. Yeah, I've always um, heard they've been treated like junior members, kind of. It it's kind of an odd squib that they have in Ireland, like in Northern Ireland, like the it's a bit like. The Senate is representational to an extent because Delaware has the same number of senators as California. Yeah. You know, so whereas in Northern people, Ireland... People yeah. say the House of Lords is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so in Northern Ireland, you have, like, it has to be a split chamber that's evenly split between unionists and nationalists, so both groups are equally represented. But you have to have some political sway to be able to make it to a top point in the elections. Otherwise, the British Parliament may as well just appoint the, the MPs. So basically, so it, the divide is basically politicized in that you can stand down to let that let in the, the people of the organization that you don't agree with, but if you have like similar views. That, oh, no, that was a different election. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so like you've, you've got British Parliament works like this. At the top, you've got the House of Lords, which doesn't really have that much power anymore. It's a reflective body. Below them, you have the House of Commons, where the business end is. Okay, and then below that, you have the devolved parliaments. So Scotland has its own devolved parliament. Wales has the Welsh Assembly, which they've recently renamed the Welsh Parliament to give themselves a bit more oomph. Yeah. And then you have the Stormont Assembly, Northern Ireland. And the Stormont Assembly runs on this weird mix of proportional representation and appointment so that you get a balance between unionists and nationalists. Um, and the Welsh and Scottish parliaments both run on proportional representation. Brilliantly, um, the Scottish Parliament was run on a form of proportional representation designed by the Labour and Liberal Party to ensure there would never be an SNP majority. There's been an <laughs> SNP majority in Scotland for like the last 15 years. <laughs> uh, didn't work so good, did it? No, no, no. Oh, SNP will be, never be that popular. Well, you haven't met the British Conservative Party yet. Yeah. Trying to like erect a fence to keep the tides out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, what happened is that in the national poll, the national, the general election, which we had last December, this time last year, that was when the Sinn Fein uh, candidates stood down to ensure the U European Unionists got elected because they wanted to make sure that Europe had a bigger voice. Unfortunately, it was a landslide win for the Conservative Party, but there you go. They tried. Yeah. They did what they could. The old college try, huh? Yeah, it was it was a really odd election last time around. Oof. So yes, because like Labour lost no end of traditionally their own seats and gained ones they shouldn't have won. Um, so <laughs> um, I had friends who who've, I've known from British politics for years who lost their jobs. You know, so yeah, just the way it is. Yeah, I mean, that's like politics all over. You're running for your job. Yeah, that's the, see people. That's the thing. People don't realize this. They actually do have a redundancy package for MPs. If you lose really? your seat, yeah, they will give you. I think it's something like ten thousand pounds. It's like a six months of your regular salary as an MP to give you time to reorganize. Because 
you spend it when you're an MP, you'll spend five years living between your constituency in London and living in your constituency in wherever you are. So like my local MP, she's or he, sorry, he's he lives in Hull, which is 30 miles away from here, but he takes the train every week down to Parliament, does five days in Parliament, and then comes back up here. Andrew, I've known Andrew for a long while, and he's he's a conservative, but he's a nice he's a nice gentleman. I don't agree with any of his politics whatsoever, but he's he as we've both been involved in local politics, I've known him for quite a while, and he does work very hard. But it's a lot of movement, so when they do leave Parliament, you know they've got to pay for this house that they're probably paying London rent on, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so they do get housing help for it. And, and so then they do get a redundancy package for it as well. So. And must be nice to be a politician. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I think it depends. I mean, there's, there's a, there, they do give themselves far too many pay rises and it's not a particularly good, clear way of being paid. It's not like, here's £100,000 a year to run your office, pay everybody, do your research and get everything done. Yeah. It's kind of like, here's your basic salary of £36,000 and here's another £5,000 for this. There's another £20,000 for that, which is reason why people don't like it. It's not particularly consistent. It's not easy to get a chain of what's going to happen. Like, You get more money if you're a minister because you got to travel more and you've got more responsibility. That seems reasonable to me. But it's just the way it is. It's... You also need to make sure you pay people a good amount of money so yeah. that they're not making bad decisions. I want to make sure they know their mortgage is paid. Yeah, you gotta have a you gotta have a good staff, I guess. Yeah, that's it. I want the right people to be in the job, you know. Um, and I want to track the best people for it. Unfortunately, <laughs> like I was saying earlier, with the lawyers thing lawyers earn far more money outside of parliament now than they ever would do inside parliament so it's not, if you're a good lawyer you're definitely not going to go into parliament yeah unless you have an incredible sense of public service which is you know or you you guys like curse the, so they're not so bad or if you have the ability as what happens in the u.s to i mean if you have the ability to essentially assume power in that position to to go vote yourself your, money your own <laughs> material ends you know yeah, yeah. That's why they never take anybody down in like the American Congress because they'd have to write sh- shut the whole place down. They'd have to fumigate. <laughs> but it's yeah. the congressmen are constantly running. You've got two years to get money together. Yeah, that's yeah. True too. yeah. Two years is not a very long time. They had a bunch of they had a bunch of stuff a couple of years ago about like all these tell-alls <laughs> about the money you're expected to like raise for like the Democratic Party and like they spend most of their time like in the sweaty phone room just like trying to call these people and hit them up for money. Yeah. I was I read a book called The Power Game, which was kind of like written in the Reagan era. There was loads on Joe Biden in it, actually, funnily enough, because he was just a freshman like yeah. senator at the time and he was starting to build relationships. He'd only been there three or four years. And one of the Republicans had taken him under the under his wing and he thought he was good for American politics if Joe Biden did well. Didn't <laughs> 40 years later it's kind of worked out for Joe, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, and even back then they were talking more time trying to run for president for for him. <laughs> well, even back then they were talking about ten thousand dollars a month to get reelected in the eighties. So, you know, it's you don't have to do that level of fundraising in the UK, thankfully, because yeah, I mean, it's just less like a smaller place, you know? Like yeah. Five years. Yeah, you, that that makes a lot of sense. Five years. Yeah. 
there's a lot more stability in the parliament and you can get things done. There's I think one of the, one of the issues with one of the issues with British parliaments that uh, other people see as a good thing is like we get more stuff done if you have one group in charge and it's like well that's fine but Denmark has like four groups in charge and it changes fortnightly but they still get things done. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's not the best way necessarily of doing representative government but it does offer stability to an extent there's been the joke since like cameron lost his election cameron beat uh, ed miliband when he was labor leader it's a choice this was 10 years ago it's a choice between between strong stable government under my leadership or chaos under ed miliband and it's like we've had nothing but chaos for the last 10 years yeah so i think we probably would have ed miliband's version of chaos would have been far better i think yeah what's he up to can you come save everything <laughs> <laughs> He's going to show up in like a big suit of armor. I can't remember. I saw him, I saw him on an advert doing something about participation in politics the other day. I can't remember what he's doing now. David Miliband's supposedly making a comeback. His brother. Uh, he, went to, oh. he, went to, he went to a big law firm in New York. He's, so a, real, that was, he's a real hardeen, huh? Oh, wait. Well, basically, David Miliband was like the future of the British Labour Party. He was foreign secretary under Gordon Brown. Oh, yeah. And he was brilliant political mind, had the look, had the voice. Mm. You know, he, he he was like the West Wing British Prime Minister. If you if you if Aaron Sorkin could write a Prime Minister, yeah. he'd write David Miliband. He was like expert uh, expert in pass. <laughs> yes. And then it came to the party conference and Gordon Brown had resigned and we're picking our new leader to go forward. And his brother, Ed, the person you wouldn't write as leader of the Labour Party wins the election uh, and and because he was ed was a bit more left-wing had a bit of a lisp which is not his fault and it doesn't really affect him and stuff yeah. like that isn't the or english plus a bit clumsy isn't the english plus like very mean about stuff like that like yeah cool. yeah because we've got a horrible press yeah really new york post is kind of like the the high watermark of British right wing press. <laughs> you, you, like, you know, the, the essentially hey. the New York Post is essentially what what it's the same. It's Rupert Murdoch, so it's the same kind of thing we get. Oh, that makes sense. I yeah, mean, I mean, he's no small entity over here. We have him on like the most popular channel on cable. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, the Sun and the Sun on Sunday and. The Times are all run by Rupert Murdoch. So, oh, God. Yeah. So he kind of found, he, he started his empire in Australia, but he kind of like made it big in the 80s here before moving on to New York Post and Sun Times and Fox. God. And yeah. What a blight on the whole, country, whole world, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just, well, yeah, it's, he's, he is what he is. And, that's the kind of thing you have to put up with, really, I suppose. It, 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 but it, is, it has made life so much more difficult for British politicians. You know, one of the reasons why Blair was so successful in the, in the 90s was because he found the back of Rupert Murdoch. You know, he yeah. became reasonable enough for Sun readers to find him as a believable leader of the British, British Parliament. And the Tory party had no real kind of opposition that would work against that. Blair was... Pref- oh, sorry, sorry. This guy, so Blair was professional. He was slick. He could run a party. He knew what he was talking about. Um, and he was a great party leader. I don't think he was a great national leader, but he was a great party leader. And there was no one in the Tory party in the 90s who was anywhere near as good as Tony Blair was. 
Yeah, I mean, good head of hair on that guy. He looks good on a <laughs> looks good on a, a cover of a magazine. Yeah, well, criminal, but there you go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, besides that, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, saying, I mean, like, every, like I'm thinking about Q aspect. I'm getting in the, the Murdoch yeah. mindset. <laughs> electability. He was brilliant, and that was yeah. that was the key thing for him. It, he was a brilliantly electable uh, politician, but he wasn't and like he jived very closely with the um, with the clinton administration too in this sort of this sort of like ridiculous idea that they can um move like beyond like beyond contentious politics right yeah the third way the third way politics i mean and clinton's a bit of a different animal but essentially it's the same principle there was a lot of there was actually tony blair when he first went to parliament was invited by conservative mps to dinner to see if they could turn him because <laughs> they kind of thought he was a Tory in disguise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they didn't. So, you know, but he was, it was the idea essentially of what the British Liberal Party is. The British Liberal Party was the the key left-wing party for about 200 years before the Labour Party came along. Right. Um, but the, the Liberal Parties kind of espoused this laissez-faire economics match with social justice. And that mm-hmm. was basically what... Uh, Blair was after in a nutshell he wanted you triangulate well Clinton did it first really you triangulate off of what the opposition are doing so you take republican ideas and apply left-wing principles to it and claim it as your own I mean that's Um, we've never recovered from that that's Joe Biden's just like that in another cast of that that's the the prevailing tradition of the Democratic Party yeah that's that and it works as far as getting elected is concerned it's a policy nightmare because (laughs) you're yeah Jeff, where are we at on time? Uh, we're at about an hour. All right. All right. Just, just checking. James, uh, maybe yeah. a little pile cleanser before the end. Who are, okay. your, who are your BOSJ picks? <laughs> who do you got? That's the Super Junior picks. Wow, okay. That's a segue. Yeah, uh, 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 James, let's just jerk the wheel. Yeah, all sorry. <laughs> what is Battle of Super Juniors? That's the Super Juniors is a professional wrestling tournament promoted by New Japan Pro Wrestling. There you go. There you go. For the last 23 years. Uh, Best of Super Junior picks. I'm probably picking Hiromu Takahashi. Yeah, everybody would have mind is. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, James. uh, I didn't even realize that that was coming up, honestly. Uh, Who's who's in it? Desperado, uh, Hiromu Takahashi, Bushi, uh, Nobu Kanemaru, Kanemura, Taiji Shimori, uh, Duki, uh, Sho, and I think that's it. Yeah, Taiji graduated. He's a big boy now. Yes. but yeah, James, I uh, really appreciate you coming on. Excellent insight you have. Uh, Thank you very much. Very fantastic. I really appreciate it. I'm sorry for the scheduling snafu yesterday. That's okay. These things happen. Full credit for that. And uh, <laughs> uh, this is uh, WHIV LP New Orleans 102.3. Good morning, comrade. Uh, Jeff, you got anything to say? James, you got anything to advertise? Um, you can listen to my podcast, The Troopany Show. You can find us on Twitter, The Troopany Show, and on Facebook. No, sorry, Twitter, Troopany Show, and on Facebook, The Troopany Show. That's weekly pro wrestling coverage 
of New Japan Pro Wrestling and pro wrestling history as well. And you should go look at Steel Chair Wrestling Magazine, where I write most of my wrestling writing these days. Ooh, very interesting. Love to read some good writing. Steel Chair Magazine. I have, you've been working there for a little bit while now, huh? About two years. I'm features editor of non-WWE stuff. Oh, that's um, perfect for you. <laughs> yes. I, we got Be- Becky is the WWE features editor. She looks after all that stuff, and then I look after the rest of it. Yeah, maybe maybe next time we can talk about wrestling. Oh man, <laughs> man, I think James might be even better at talking about that than he is about politics. Like, <laughs> I heard him talk about uh, like all these pig iron towns I've never heard about in like Central England and like Rollerball Rocco. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, uh, thanks for joining us on the show, uh, and yeah. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Uh, you can listen Thank to you. Comrade, the money comrade.com, the HIV LP, the world, but if you put free, so listening, love you. Bye. <laughs>